0: Welcome back to Always Evolving. I have a guest today. You know, you never really know how to introduce someone over a podcast, especially when you're not like sitting next to them and vibing with them. But Tom is kind of like a guru or leader <laughs> in terms of helping people really start to believe in themselves and believe their full potential. Would you say? Yeah, I love it. A guru is always a funny word, but yes, I try to help people uh, turn their potential into skill set. And Tom Bilyeu is a very successful businessman. I mean, how? why don't I, I, you can help me out too, because you've been in the podcasting game way longer than me. What is the best way to introduce someone like you? You know, it's interesting.
1: So um, to not sidestep your question, but to really in a conversational way, invite you into how I think about it. So I used to do really long intros and yeah. um, it was, it was a great way to honor the guest, and it certainly put them in a certain headspace. But it also created a sense of distance, mm. and so I actually stopped doing long intros. And now I don't even say who the person is. I'm just like, "Hey, I'm here," you know, with Tom Billu, and then I go into my first question, and that is it. And that was like a, a 180 from where I started, where I, I did like these minute and a half, two oh. minute long intros, um, and so I'm I'm of two minds. I. I think that it creates a much more conversational tone. So I will say who I am for anybody out there. So um, graduated film school, had no idea how to make my dreams come true, met these two entrepreneurs and they said, look, you're coming to the world with your hand out. If you want to make movies, then you have to control the resources. So why don't you come with us, get rich, by building businesses, and then you can go build a studio the way you want. So I got into business for very strange reasons. I thought it would take eighteen months to get wealthy. That did not work out quite as I expected. It took fifteen years, totally changed me as a human being. Uh, and now here I am, having actually generated the finances to build a studio. And that's what I focus on. and And impact theory is entirely about, Um, Like you said, helping people take their potential and turning it into skill sets. So whether that's direct to camera stuff like what we're doing right now or whether that's through a comic
0: book, a movie or a TV show. And when did you make that decision that this is what you wanted to do? Well, I I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker from the time
1: that I was 12. So it's been uh, a passion a long time uh, in the making. But the current iteration really started when I was, I think, 18 or 19. I big brothered for this little kid in South Central Los Angeles. And I was doing it just to get extra credit and to at USC. And to make a very, very long story short, uh, that ended up being an eight and a half year relationship. And I wasn't really able to um, save him from his zip code. So right now in America, your zip code is the number one predictor of your future success. So it's not your IQ. Um, it, it is where you grew up. And so that like really stuck with me as something that I found deeply troubling. Flash forward 15 years later, I have 3000 employees, a 1000 of them remind me of this kid that I had Mm. been brothered for. And I just thought, okay, I didn't know enough back then to be super useful. But now I do. Now I have taken myself from, you know, laying face down on an unfurnished apartment floor because I could not afford furniture, and feeling hopeless and lost and frustrated to building a billion dollar business. So I'm like, I know what I had to do to my mind in order to become capable of that. And can I teach that? Can I give that to other people? Like, are they going to be willing to do it? And that became the central question of my life. And I realized that if I were to just tell somebody, hey, think like this, act like this, about 2% of them really will do it. And it'll change their life, their family's life. I mean, it's incredible when it happens. But 98%, on the other hand, do not. And so I became obsessed with the 98% and how do you do this at scale? And then that brought me all back to film because ultimately the punchline of the sort of investigation of what does it take to create change in somebody who's even antagonistic to change, it's to tell them stories, especially between the ages of 11 and 15. And so that became my focus was to create a new kind of Disney, if you will, that like Disney is only interested in telling one kind of story um, from a thousand different angles over and over and over. But unlike Disney who basically gave birth to what we now call Americana, right? The sense of nostalgia um, that there's right always wins. And you know, they did a lot of Mm -hmm. really cool stuff and they showed that you can cement that into the culture. But I wanted to show somebody go from weak to strong, from you know broken to knowing how to do something with their lives. And we shorthand that to empowerment. So impact theory is about telling one kind of story and one kind of story only, which is about empowerment, which is exactly what I wanted. I knew I needed to um, help people with. That's a, the reason that your zip code holds you back is because it teaches you to think in a way that is self-destructive. And so how mm-hmm. could... We reach out to people there by giving them a story that they just plain want to watch and have it have the kind of impact that, say, Star Wars or The Matrix had on me have on them so that even if they're growing up somewhere that isn't ideally suited to give them a successful mindset, that they're, you know,
0: imbibing these empowering messages. You know, I've gone into a lot of schools, you know, working with the teachers and classrooms. And I imagine part of an area that you've explored because self help really isn't taught unless you're in a certain zip code in which uh, all of a sudden, you know, they're doing yoga instead of playing with a tether ball, right? So, a ratty tether, tether ball. So it's like, I'm sure, and I've explored this arena, right? Like developing curriculums and. And then I kind of went away from it. What's been your experience? Because I have to imagine that part of your work is like, how do we get to these? um, How do we make this a part of a curriculum? How do we get to be inserted into these institutions where something's lacking? Yeah, so I'm not a big fan of convincing other people.
1: So Mm. I would just rather create it. So I actually created something called Impact Theory University, which is meant to be all the things you should have learned in school but didn't. Um, and you could round that to just how to think, how to learn. Um, so that's been amazing. And that, that has been insane to see the reactions that we've gotten from that. Um, would I love to see people adopt it and put it in schools? Yes. Am I ever going to be the guy going around trying to convince uh, government employees to put it in their schools? No. No, I uh, that have is a sales well, cycle.
0: Because I have a school in San Bernardino that was bringing me out right before COVID. And uh, I was like the person who would be speaking because there was, uh, I don't know, they have 110 teachers within like three schools and they're in a zip code that is very poor, very challenging even to work with the students. And uh, they asked me, so I was supposed to speak at the school and then they actually asked me if I would be interested in developing curriculum with them. Whereas, it would be a better fit. You've developed something. It's an open door. You don't have to convince. I can make an introduction at least to explore that because I think it's so important because I really, I love what you're saying about zip codes because it's, it's true. Like there's, people don't want to accept it, but there is a reality that it's a lot more challenging. And so I think that, um, you know, I'd be interested in learning more about impact Theory university and also the curriculum because I think there's a big need and I'm seeing there's more of a desire uh, from teachers and principals to to have curriculum because they don't know what to do, you know? Yeah, no man, I hear it.
1: And uh, I would heed the call of anybody that wanted to deploy this in their
0: classrooms. That, that would be amazing. You know what would be cool too is if if I end up connecting these dots, which I'm now I'm inspired to do, and then down the road, you know, should it happen, we could do a follow-up episode, right? Like That'd be sick. The experience of it, how to do it, how to instill it because I just think um there's such a high demand for that. I love that you've made uh, I mean, look, the reality is you've made a lot of money, right? In your businesses through the years. Like Quest was a massive success. And yet did you have any moments where you're like all right, well, maybe I'm just going to play and not, you know, did you realize that after all that success that you would still want to do what you're doing now? Well, the good news with the
1: way that uh, I generated wealth is that first I failed a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And so in failing, I began, you ask yourself like, hey, am I ever actually going to have the kind of success that I was mapping out for myself in the beginning? And you realize that, yeah, maybe you will. Uh, But you can't guarantee it. And so you begin to ask a different question, which is, what would I do every day and love, even if I were failing? And when I switched to that question, then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, well, you better like this intrinsically. And what that's tapping into is meaning and purpose. And, you know, I'm, I'm on a mission to convince people that the punchline of life is not success. It's not fame. It's not money. It's neurochemistry. It's how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. And, you know, how many billionaires have to end their own lives before people realize that money is not Mm -hmm. going to solve those problems. So thankfully, I went through all of that um, before I had success. And I would say, in fact, my success is an echo of those realizations. And so once I had that and realized that what you're going to show up for, what you're going to have the energy that you're going to need to fight, what's going to give you that is that you believe in this thing. It serves not only yourself, but it serves other people as well. Um, And I'm always telling people your goals should be both exciting, meaning you should be jazzed about doing it, but it should also be honorable in that it serves not only yourself, but, you know, something bigger. And when you tap into that, you're tapping into what I call the physics of being human. Like you will just get a neurochemical reward for doing really hard things with your unique skill set to lift other people up like that, that just by your nature, by being a social creature, you're going to get rewarded for that. And so doing that feels awesome. So when my wife and I found ourselves in a situation where we exited Quest and we had, you know, I mean,
0: just like answered all the money questions one could ever answer. Um, It's in every, by the way, Quest is the new like nutrition bar, right? Part of it and a line of products. You see it in every airport, every CVS, every Walmart. I mean, it, it literally became the nutritious bar of choice for anyone that was like on the go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It
1: was cool. We went from not existing to being valued at over a billion dollars in five years. So yeah. it was it was a rocket ship ride, wow. uh, and it was exciting because, it, look, there were three of us that founded the company. We founded it for three very different reasons. So I will speak for myself. But for me, it was about ending metabolic disease. My, I grew up in a morbidly obese family. And, you know, speaking of meaning and purpose, it was like, I knew I could show up every day and fight for my mom and my sister who had struggled so profoundly. And if we could make food that they could choose based on taste, and it happened to be good for them, um, that, you know, that would be huge. And so we knew that if we can actually pull this off, it's in line with the way that human behavior really is. And, you know, this could really turn into something, but we literally said to each other, we're not gonna prioritize profit, we're gonna prioritize impact. So our ability to actually create something that is metabolically advantageous. Mm. So eating it is actually good for you. And holding that as our barometer, we actually made less money than we could have if we had cut corners. Mm. Um, but I'm so proud now of some of the decisions that we made that cost a lot of money, but were, more metabolically advantageous. Like so we'll what's an example? We changed an ingredient. I mean, this was years ago now, but we changed an ingredient and everybody thought we did it because it was cheaper. It was actually more expensive. But the reason we did it is because it had a better impact on your blood glucose levels. So even though people were like, look, it's not broken, don't fix it. We knew that if our mission really is about giving people something that's healthy, like every sort of incremental bit that we can do to make something better for them, we're gonna keep doing. And that was one, it's probably the business decision that I'm most proud of because it had an immediate and knowable cost. Mm. And we did it because we knew it was the right thing to do. And so that that felt awesome. So you put all that together, when I decided that I'm gonna exit Quest and start the studio in earnest, it was, I didn't miss a beat basically. So I think my last day at Quest was either a Monday or a Tuesday, and then the very next day we started impact theory. So we didn't even take a single day off. And the reason we did that, cause look, my wife and I could have bought an island and retired and sit my ties for the rest of our lives, but we'd go stir crazy. Anybody would like that kind of vacation is fun. They're gonna be wrong. Do it when you can once in a while. Hey, but if you really want to feel alive and mm. really be on fire for your own life, you've gotta do hard things. With your unique skill set that you worked very hard to get, in service of something bigger than yourself.
0: Okay, so when you say hard things, like is are you implying like decisions you need to make tough decisions? It could be that, like a, a lot of times, it's like physically hard. You
1: need to do things that are actually difficult. Now it can also be psychological but i will just tell people if you're starting at the beginning start with the things that are physically hard go work out exercise don't eat the thing that you want to eat eat the healthy stuff like even doing those and and my all-time favorite cold water exposure so take a cold shower go in a cold plunge like you will be startled by not only does it feel good physiologically but you being able to get yourself to do something that's difficult In order to achieve something you want to achieve, there's all kinds of health benefits to cold exposure. But by getting yourself to do that hard thing, man, you're, again, it goes back to how the human animal is wired. You have to be incentivized from an evolutionary standpoint. You have to be incentivized to go risk the hunt and, you know, march for miles and miles and miles, like day after day after day to survive cold winters, like all the difficulties that we would have come up and had our psyches honed under those circumstances. You you have to reward that, right? Nature rewards that. So just Mm -hmm. like nature, make sure, hey, nature wants to make sure that you have kids that have kids. So step one, make sex really fun. Step two, make you bond and attach to that child and want good things for that kid. So you put those together and it rewards nature, rewards the behaviors that it wants. One of the behaviors that it wants is for you to be willing to do difficult things because that's the only way that you will survive. So you have this innate drive within you to face hard things, do hard things. And then if it's adding up to something you really care about, you know, you get this huge bonus for it. But even just doing physically difficult things will be psychologically
0: rewarding. As you're talking, by the way, it's such a trip. You look like my brother, David. (laughs) Like my brother actually went on your podcast, David Bear. Oh, I did not put two and two together. That's insane. That's so yeah, cool. I didn't we're know vi- you guys are brothers. Yeah, my brother. Yeah, my br- brother and I are brothers. <laughs> Believe it. <laughs> but or not. you look. You remind me of my brother, like appearance wise. You're talking to me, and I'm having one of these like moments. where I'm like, oh my god, Tom looks like my brother. You know, and and has so intellectual. And my brother and I are very different, um, but. You know, like he's also in this profession and that was my big introduction to you. And then I started watching your videos and following you. And then I was and then, yeah, it was all from there. So but uh, yeah, you, you remind me a lot of my brother. And I, and I love what you have to say about, you know, doing things that get you out of your comfort zone, doing things that uh, push yourself so that you're creating uh, kind of a new awareness of your abilities to feel better think different and what have you um what what's the biggest like right now with impact theory right with COVID let's say you know everyone goes well there's an opportunity in all this right like with everything but what's been the biggest challenge in terms of you achieving because I imagine I mean if you have a vision everyone's different right but if you have this you know, you, you've accomplished such a big thing that I have to imagine your confidence levels that you can achieve this next thing are there because you did what many would say is impossible. Creating in five years a billion dollar brand from something that you eat, right? It's like that you put food in your body. So what's the challenge with trying to create kind of the Disneyland of self-improvement and personal development? Specifically in COVID or just in general? I guess
1: both. So in COVID, the thing that's been difficult is um, a big part of what we do is this, right? So we have a bunch of interview shows that we do and they've been um, very successful. And when we went into COVID, you're no longer sharing space. I mean, you mentioned that at the beginning of, of this interview, right? And you know, you know, better than most that it makes a big difference. So yeah, we that can't, like, do, we really can't do this thing or anything, you know, and, and it matters as a social species like that kind of stuff really matters. So um, that's been the biggest downside. The second biggest downside is a team is just more efficient when they're sharing space. Mm. So the fact that, you know, our team hasn't been physically together in any meaningful way since, you know, March. So that's rough. Um, in general, building something like what I'm trying to build now is that whenever you have a grand ambition, you're not yet the person you need to be to pull it off. And so you have to create a structure that allows you to um, take advantage of your failures and not go out of business because of your failures. So People are afraid to make mistakes. I am definitely not, but I am very afraid of mortality events. So I'm always trying to position the business such that we don't go out of business. So getting into this industry and saying, I mean, I planted a flag. I said, we're building the next Disney. That's like our rallying cry. Now, Disney has a 95 year head start mm-hmm. plus
0: a lot of billions. Uh, they yeah, but, but Nabisco, but I, listen, I'm sure Nestle was around for 100 years. They didn't make that protein bar in five you know,
1: what you said about me having the confidence, you're absolutely right. Now, the maybe the more interesting thing is how did I have the confidence to do Quest? I didn't have any success under my belt, right? Mm. We had a company before that, but it was tiny. I mean, compared to what we did in Quest. Um, so to give you an idea, we did more in a single day at Quest than we did annually in our previous company. So it was like the the magnitude of scale was so mm. crazy and that just comes down to belief system. So one of the things I teach in Impact Theory University is that people mistake their beliefs for truth. And because they just think the things that I believe are objectively true, then they just keep believing them without realizing that they're sort of putting themselves in a box and usually that box is, you know, just all glass ceiling all day. So what I realized very early on was the human animal has chosen a tactic and that tactic is to have nature and nurture coexist. So you're, um, you're designed to learn, grow and get better. Like that's what you're actually designed to do. A horse comes out and a horse can do horse things in minutes. A human comes out and it can't take care of itself for years and years and years And we get this tremendous advantage in terms of intellectual power from that. But we also tend to learn, certainly in a Western context, we tend to learn that if you fail, you are a failure. And so people become Mm. terrified to fail, or they think that however smart I was when I was born, that's as smart as I'm ever going to be. And so there's all this sense of like, yeah, sure you can learn as a kid, but once you're not a kid anymore, nah, Like you can't really change meaningfully. And that's just false. So, I mean, and I'm talking brain science backs this up. You can look at um, David Eagleman, who's one of the foremost neuroscientists. He's at Stanford, uh, wrote a book called Live Wired, talking about how the brain actually works and that people fundamentally misunderstand how it can grow and change depending on the stimulus you give it. So basically, if you train and practice, you can get good at anything at any age. And so I went into nutrition going, well, I know nothing about this. I'm not yet the person I need to be to build this billion dollar company, but I'm unafraid to make mistakes. And I know Mm. that from the mistakes I will learn tremendously in AI, in fact, uh, artificial intelligence, they don't refer to it as a mistake. They refer to it as a sample. So the AI tries something and either it got the result that it wanted or it didn't. And if it doesn't get the result, it tries something new. If it gets the result, it does that thing more efficiently. And I just encourage people to think in the same way. And that's, that's what served me is, I just stumble into something,
0: make a lot of mistakes, assess those, adjust and move forward. And if you could wave the wand with impact theory of what your vision would be, what what does it look like? It's Disney specifically minus the
1: theme parks. So I have no interest in theme parks, but um, we we are already developing TV shows, both fiction and um, unscripted. We're developing film. We're developing comic books. The one thing that we know we will do but aren't doing yet is video games. Um, just, you know, again, being realistic about avoiding a mortality event. Uh, games can be egregiously expensive. Mm. Um, so we're following a pretty tried and true model of creating intellectual property through comics, uh, which we do actually on Webtoon. So for your listeners that may not even know it exists, uh, it dwarfs the physical print comic industry by some ridiculous magnitude. Mm. Uh, and it's one of those things that if you're 14 years old, you know all about it. And if you're 40, you've never even heard of it. Um, but it is where kids go to read comics. Like and do you on. and your wife create different comics on there? Um, We work together a lot. So, to say that we do different ones might be a little misleading, but she heads up the female-focused projects and I head up the male-focused projects. So, we take a very Japanese approach in that, I think, uh, so when you get into the comic industry, you very quickly realize the American system is broken. And we started asking, well, is anybody doing it right? That takes you straight to Japan. They're still killing it. And we looked at what they Mm. do and what they do is they specifically say this comic book is for a boy, 11 to 15. This comic book is for a girl, 18 to 26, whatever. They know exactly who the demographic is for that thing. And then they make something that that demographic is going to love. Whereas in the U.S., it's one aimed almost exclusively at adults, which is weird. And then two, it's trying to um, take one piece of ip and make it accessible to everybody and mm-hmm. so when you try to be all things to all people you end up being nothing to anybody
0: so do you currently have comics out we do if you what are it, they no tell word. me tell me what so they are
1: they are uh, neon future and hexagon are the first two that we have out on webtoon um, and then we have several more that are lined up behind it including the female led one by my wife which is called wish academy uh which i think is going to be amazing she is killing it um, so yeah, I'm super excited about that project.
0: And so, can people buy merch for these comics? Like, can you get your Neon well, Futures? Course. Of course, of course. That's so cool. That's so, yeah, so. but that's, that's Neon whole, Future, but, but can you hand can if they go if someone buys the comic, you actually can get the physical comic too, or you is it can, all digital? But that's
1: that's really uh, just a, a out. So we we went into print first. So, Neon Future is a graphic novel. It's on shelves in stores. And we just realized that that model was dead. And that if we wanted to really get a big audience, especially in that 11 to 15 demo yeah. that we're aimed at, that we needed to go to Webtoon. So, we took it and we um, basically reimagined it for specifically for the Webtoon platform. And um, we've seen. I think it's almost 100 times more views on Webtoon
0: than we had in print. So it's just wow. like I said, the magnitude is, is just so much bigger. How do you how do you decide like with what these projects and as you expand, there's more, you know, voices and cooks in the kitchen and um, opinions. And how do you decide if something's on brand or not? That's a
1: great question. Right now we're small enough that basically myself and my wife, Lisa, who is my uh, 50-50 business partner, uh, we decide. So if it's a project she oversees, um, and we this this is how I think of um, myself. I think Lisa would agree that this is how she sees herself. We are not the seed of the idea. We're the soil in which the seed is planted. So what we're trying to create is an environment where creatives can come and we'll help them stay on brand, which is very important to us. Both my wife and I, our backgrounds are storytelling, so we're quite adept at helping guide them through the process. Mm. Um, But ultimately, we want to bring the world's most talented storytellers to the table, get them excited about this idea of empowerment, And then say, look, first and foremost, you have to entertain. If a kid smells that you're trying to preach to them, they are going to bounce. They are not Mm. going to pay attention in any way, shape, or form. So this has got to be, you know, stuff that they just love and they think is awesome. And then there just happens to be a message. So there's a character that you love that works a little harder maybe than the next character. And you want to be like that character. And so you work a little harder in your own life.
0: And it just opens you up to ideas. You know what would be cool? So I have this... uh free empowerment group every Tuesday. I started during COVID it's called empowerment group. And I've had every Tuesday, it's a different guest um, wide range. I let them do their thing. We try to create an exercise for the group. It's people from all over the world, but I think what could be really cool is one of these comics utilized as a like teaching tool slash like, I mean, I haven't read the comic yet, but I already am guessing where this could go. And I think it'd be really cool if someone within Impact Theory, whoever—I mean, I, I know you're very busy, your wife's very busy—but s- joins on a Tuesday to talk about this and what you guys are doing, and also the comic. Like, I could see that being a really—it's an awesome way to put art out. That is—I mean, I, I just like right when you said that, all of a sudden I'm—I I got giddy. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, she's creating art that's going to be in comics that's all about storytelling that makes people feel better about themselves or other people better about themselves or as life lessons so i'd love for someone with an impact theory to speak um uh we get you know about 500 people on zoom and then we get another 2,000 that are live on the other platforms because they can't figure out how to log into zoom a big part of my demo uh is an older demo uh, which is from being on Dr. Phil so much. So, but if you guys are up for it, I'd love to have you. Cool, man. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah, I'm down. I'm going to, right after this call, I'm actually going to look up. Some, I'm going to buy some of these comics. I really am. I, I, that, that, that you you have me so happy. To buy a, it. You can no? go straight
1: to webtoon. No, just go to webtoon and, uh, you can get it for free. Oh, so you don't even have to pay for this.
0: That is correct. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, because that, that's sick. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm gonna go into Webtoon right after this. Tony, you're listening. We're going to Webtoon. We're going to Planet Webtoon. All right. So I got some questions from uh, listeners of the podcast uh, for you. And Let's do so it. one question was: What does the poverty of a poor mindset mean? So that idea came from, so I'm
1: at Quest and when you're in manufacturing in Southern California, you're going to end up in just the worst neighborhoods. So we were, uh, I think one place was actually in Compton. Another one was right next door to Compton. And we put out on the street that, um, because I have a firm belief, it doesn't matter who you are today. It only matters who you want to become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. And so I was like, well, if I really believe that, then wouldn't I be willing to hire somebody even if they have a criminal record? And so we said, hey, Hmm. we will consider you for employment even if you have a criminal record. And people would line up around the building to get an interview because nobody will give people with a criminal record a chance. And so we were, so many people wanted to be interviewed and we were growing so fast. We grew by 57,000% in our first three years alone. Now that's in manufacturing, that's more square footage, that's people, that's equipment. I Hmm. mean, it was insanity. So we were hiring so fast and at the time, if you interviewed a quest, whether you were interviewing for the SVP of sales or you wanted to be the janitor, you were gonna interview with me. And I had to get really fast at interviewing people. So I'd ask all these questions. And one of the questions was the magic genie question. Hey, a magic genie is about to show up. They will grant one wish and one wish only. You can't wish to bring somebody back from the dead or cure cancer or whatever. It's gotta be something for you. What do you wish for? Now to make again, another very long story, nice and short, every single person wished for the same thing, which was $1 million. And I was just like, what is happening? A million dollars? You can't buy a house in LA for a million dollars. This is crazy. This is a magic genie. I thought people would ask for a trillion dollars, a money printing machine that would, you know, make currency that people will always accept, like something. And I realized that Hmm. what they should be asking for, if money is what they care about, then they should be asking for an unimaginably large amount of money. And then I realized, a million dollars to them is an unimaginably large amount of money. And mm. you're going to get from life what you demand of it. So if to you, a million dollars is absolutely impossible, you won't do the things that you would need to do to go and make a million dollars. And so whatever you wanna do, you you just, unless you can allow yourself to believe that it's possible, you're not gonna do it. And everyone's behaviors align with their beliefs. Right. So very famous quote, I'm sure you've said it a thousand times. Whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. So Mm -hmm. once people get it in their heads that they can't do something, they don't even, again, they mistake it for truth. They don't think I have chosen to believe I can't do something. They simply internalize that they can't do it. And so my thing is you can, like the number of people I interviewed from Compton that I was like, you're smarter than I am, just literally taking your ability to process raw data quickly, Mm -hmm. you do it better than I do. and that became like my obsession i called it mining for astronauts i was like i promise you the next like elon musk type person is here somewhere in compton but they're never going to do anything with their lives because they don't believe that they can mm. and if we could just go give them belief then they would start working hard to turn their potential into skill set because it is about skills it is about skills it does not matter how much potential you have if you never turn it into actual usable skill set right but people don't do the work because they don't think it's gonna go anywhere. And if you don't think that you can turn time and energy focused on a task into improved skill set, then why would you ever do it? And the quote that I try to introduce everybody to who's struggling with that, because people think, oh, you know, I remember one kid said, my mom told me, people don't want people that look like me to succeed. Hmm. Now, if I had had this quote back then, I would have immediately said to him, booze don't block dunks, which is what Kobe Bryant used to say. People can hate you all they want. People can try to hold you back all they want. But if you get so good, you can dunk over them, they can't stop you. Even when the entire team is trying to stop you, when the entire crowd, that whole city, that whole state wants you to lose, Mm. if you're better at something, you can still dunk. And so my thing was
0: that. Turn your potential into skill set. get so good they can't ignore you. I love that. Another question. Uh, Someone asked, what did being emotionally bankrupt look like for you? Oh, look like laying on the
1: floor in the fetal position, hating my life, um, having more money than I'd ever had and being absolutely miserable. It was my wife pulling me aside and saying, you're now damaging the marriage. Um, This isn't fun. You come home. You won't talk about anything. You're always in a
0: bad mood. And yeah, it was total misery. So I thought, Your lowest wait. So you're just on this point that your lowest moment was when you had like at that time, the most money you would ever had.
1: Correct. So, yeah, money is fascinating. Money is actually more powerful than people think, which is why people will forever chase money. But money is not what people have been told. So people have been led to believe that if they had money that they will be admired, they will feel good about themselves and all of that. And money cannot touch how you feel about yourself. So. The day before you're rich and the day after, all your insecurities are going to be 100% identical. The only thing is you can now buy different things. That is literally it. Money has no intrinsic value other than it facilitates something else. Mm. So if you don't have that something else that you believe in, like my dad gave me this plaque. It said, find something you would die for and live for it. If you've got that thing and money, you're loving life. If you've got that thing and you're broke, you're loving life. If you've got all the money in the world and you don't have that thing, you're not loving life. Hmm. So people have to understand meaning and purpose. The only thing that matters is how you feel about yourself. When you're by yourself, that's it. That's the punchline. You don't need to get rich to feel good about who you are. I tell people all the time, do not worry about winning a championship, but focus fiendishly on becoming capable of a championship performance because That person who's got the discipline is doing hard things, is building a skill set, like all of that, you will get an intrinsic reward. No one has to pat you on the back. You
0: will feel good about yourself if you do that. Why do you think you were um, as emotionally bankrupt? Like what was the kind of tipping point where it went, you know, instead of it just being like, oh, yeah, I was in a bad mood maybe before. But then all of a sudden it just went. (sighs) That's really just time. Right. So it started as just
1: a bad mood. And then it was a bad week, then a bad month, then a bad year, then multiple bad years. And at some point it's like, you're just spiraling into a dark place and you start, as you drive towards work, there's just all this inertia and you don't want to be there anymore. And everything about it is bad. And even things that should be good. Like you should objectively be able to say that was awesome. You just can't, you're just in such a negative space. You know, there's, um, full of, uh, Bumper stickers is probably the right way to think of it today. Um, it doesn't matter what you look at. It matters what you see. And all I could see anymore was the negativity, the like, I'm chasing money. And this is so uninteresting. And the the words I kept circling around were, I don't feel alive.
0: Hmm. And
1: that became like my rallying cry. I want to do
0: something that makes me feel alive. And people need to find that thing. Wait, and, and just a question on that. Would, would the what I've found is there can become a cycle, right? It's like we almost sometimes when we can't get out of that thing, we think about that bothers us. And then it just kind of keeps carrying on. At least I find myself, I'm like a parrot sometimes trying to figure it out. And it's just squawking the same things that I don't even want to be thinking. But was there a pattern for you during that period of time that you believe kind of was like, uh, you know, look, you can chase the core forever, right? Uh, but do you think there was like a core belief that was gained in your way or thought or? It was just a fundamental misunderstanding
1: of the game of life. So what I thought was going to make sense was that I would put my head down for a certain period of time, suffer, suffer more than the next person, and that on the other side of that, I would be rich and then I could live the life that I actually wanted to live. And somewhere in there, I finally had the realization that the success isn't guaranteed, but the struggle is. And so everything changed for me before I got successful. The breakthrough, the moment where I started enjoying my life was long before I got successful. Um, It was realizing that I needed to, that there were things that I could do on a daily basis that would fill me with energy and a sense of purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And that even if it never ended up equating with financial success, that I would still love that process. Mm. And so there are things that people could do and I'll say it another way. So there's a really famous sort of approach where they say, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And that's supposed to tell you the thing that you want most in the world. Now, the problem is you probably are going to fail, like just statistically. So I think a more useful question is, what would you do? and love every day, even if you were failing. Do that Mm. because now you can't lose because it's the act of doing that thing that fills you with energy, makes you feel alive. And that's a real thing, even if you wanna just call it um, psychological energy, which is a whole thing. And if anybody doubts whether psychological energy is real, let me ask you, the last time you were super down, do you have like a song that you can put on that instantly changes the way you feel and you feel more energized? I'm guessing the answer is yes. That is psychological energy. It's a secretion of dopamine, serotonin, you know, whatever the the neurochemical cocktail is. But just in refocusing your mind, getting hype on that music, you suddenly have energy that you didn't have before. So doing things that give you that psychological energy that you're just
0: stoked to do, Mm. that's where you want to structure your life. So for you, what is your go-to for you, like in this period of your life, when you know you're just kind of, in a cycle, or go feeling off, or need to self re- regulate. What is your go to these days? If you don't have access to re- resources, I mean, like you can't just go jump in the water. You're you're kind of like in a spot where you're like, God, I got to get out of this headspace. Well, if you if you if you're not saying just because
1: anybody with access to cold water that actually is a great is. way. Okay. And I just did this um, the last couple of days. Was I just felt tired all of a sudden? I was like, Man, this is getting annoying. So I went in and and just got in cold water. And it is so bizarre how one, just physiologically, it makes you feel alive, uh, in a really cool way. And then two, it's a hard thing. Um, but meditation is probably the best, right? You just, people need to learn to clear their head. And it's a physiological thing. If you sit quietly and breathe from your diaphragm for long enough, you will calm down whether you want to or not, because all you're doing is oscillating between, um, two modes in the body. So you have the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight. Then you have the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. And they um, exist in a negative feedback loop, meaning it's a seesaw, teeter-totter. When one is up, the other is necessarily down. When the other is up, the other is necessarily down. So if you're anxious, then you're not calm. And if you're calm, then you're not anxious. Hmm. And you have a physiological hook into that, which is diaphragmatic breathing. So if you breathe, slowly, deeply from your diaphragm, not your upper chest, which is where most people go. If you do that, you Mm. will 100% of the time calm down. Now it may take you 45 minutes, but if you do it long enough, you will get calm. And once I realized that that was true, I was like, whoa, this is crazy to think that I'm never more than 45 minutes away from total equanimity. And Mm. I'm somebody where you know I've done legal battles i've had moments where hundreds of millions of dollars are on the line and make the right decision and you go one way make the wrong Mm -hmm. decision and you go the other and even in those insanely stressful moments i was never more than 45 minutes away from
0: total calm well i'm i've been trying to find as you're saying this because you you uh, this is the first podcast episode where i uh i have new music right like i have a new intro because the intro before was not giving me the vibe i'm gonna play you real quick the as we tune out of always evolving but the intro to my next here it is okay so this is my intro tom you're getting the exclusive right i got uh, some dj producer because i was like you're so right like i've been looking at my phone while trying to find this while i'm talking and listening because i'm like let me find this song but this song gets me in a good mood And so I'm like, I'm going to start applying this to all my projects and stuff. I'll play it for you here. We're going to play it. We'll see if it, yeah, you can hear it through the mic. All right. We're just kind of hanging out. We're just, oh, life's pretty good, you know. You can't hear it? No one can hear it? I can hear it. Okay. Bring the horns in. So, anyways, I'm with That's you, man. Cool. You get the right jam down, you're just like, I'm feeling it. You know? No question. You you basically labeled, I don't even know if you could fully use, but you labeled my what I do whenever I'm in a spot is I turn a certain type of sound mm. and, but I think this is a great idea. I have a pool in the backyard. I think I'm going to jump in the pool the next time. I'm just I find myself insufferable. You will be shocked at how effective it is. Tom, Bill, you thank you for coming on always evolving. And uh, I will follow up with you. It's been a pleasure again to know you a little bit more. So thanks for well, coming. Thank you for on. having me, man. This is wonderful. Where, where should everyone go to find out the best way to get involved with impact theory? Um, would you be the can best? follow
1: me YouTube at Tom Billu or I guess forward slash Tom Billu and then Impact Theory University.
0: Those are the ways. And it's B-I-L-Y-E-U. Tom That's Bilyeu. It. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Always Evolving. Download, subscribe. Also text me, text me if you listen to this and text the word podcast and I'll respond to you. You just text 310-984-1858, that's 310-984-1858. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice, appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.